I want to be a, a voice. I want to be a safe place. I want to be a home, you know, uh, and, uh, it, sometimes I'm a little sad that it took 50 years to find this spot in life, but thank God it's here. Drew Baker a few years ago, about four to be exact, when he offered his restaurant as a host place for an Our Jackson Home Get Out the Vote rally for the mayoral election of Jackson, Tennessee in 2019. I didn't really know Drew before then, but I knew that he was invested in his city I knew that he wanted to use his restaurant as more than just a place that serves excellent barbecue or probably the best fried bologna sandwiches that you're going to get anywhere. That's Baker Brothers Barbecue downtown. I knew he wanted to use his business for more than just a place to serve food. I believe Drew wanted to give back to his community. I believe Drew appreciates the democratic process. And I knew even four years ago that he would be extremely open to having his restaurant host a get-out-the-vote celebration rally, whatever you want to call it, back in late April of 2019. That mayoral race uh, went to a runoff between Dr. Jerry Woods and our current mayor, Scott Conger. And four years later, here we are again in the midst of another mayoral race. Uh, But Baker Brothers Barbecue is still going strong downtown. And like Jackson in the last four years, the restaurant itself has also evolved. It has a cool pinball lounge. It has open mic night on Wednesdays. It is bringing uh, a lot of culture to the downtown area, which, by the way, is booming right now. And I knew all of this about Baker Brothers Barbecue because I love going there to eat. Uh, I love the fact that it's downtown. And I've always known Drew to be a very stand-up guy, but I never knew his story. And I knew along with Keith Davis, Lauren Kirk, Cliff Martin, I knew Drew was one of the first people I wanted to have on this show to hear his story. And when I heard it, I have even more respect for Drew now than I did before. Uh, Drew battled a drinking problem for years, and we get really in-depth in that, in this story. He lost everything at one point and had to start from the ground up, but he also had some help from his community. And I think that is what drives Drew uh, in this business. And not only again, to serve food to people in the community, but to provide a place for culture in the community. Uh, Towards the end of the conversation, we discussed some of the legislation that was happening in the General Assembly at the time of this uh, recording of the episode, which was a bag on drag shows. I'm sorry, a ban on drag shows. And a few weeks ago, a few weeks after the ruling, Drew and Baker Brothers Barbecue hosted a drag show. 18 and up, but he did host the drag show, and it was, I believe, a not-so-subtle middle finger to 
the legislation that had been passed in Nashville. And that is one thing that I love about Drew is that he is outspoken, he is honest, and he will always stand up for what he believes is right. More than all of that, though, his story is inspiring. I hope you enjoy this story. It is, uh, it's one of your own, Jackson. Drew Baker is giving back to his community, and he's overcome a lot to do so. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Stories We Tell, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the people who make Jackson cool. I think that's the best way I can say it on here. And and today's guest, yes, you, yes, personifies that because he runs one of the coolest restaurants downtown, even cooler now that you have a, a pinball lounge in there. Of course, I'm talking with Drew Baker of Baker Brothers Barbecue. Drew, how are you? I'm well, Gabe. Glad to be here. Man, I'm glad you're here too. So we'll get into the barbecue stuff on down the road, but you were a, you're a Jackson boy. Born and raised. Born and raised in Jackson. Yes, so I always like to do this. I did this with uh, Cliff Martin, who was my first guest. He was he was raised in Jackson. We, we did the the tracing of the schools, right? So gotcha. yeah. right, do you remember? I'm sure you remember all the schools you oh, went yeah. to, right? So you started where? I started at Old Hickory Academy. Whoa, that came out of OHA, nowhere. I didn't expect that. Yes, all right, sir. so... Old, was it over on Hollywood? Yes, sir. Back then? All right. So how long were you at Old Hickory? I went to Old Hickory through the fifth grade. All right. And then we uh, switched over to public school. I did sixth grade at East Elementary. And from East Elementary, I went to Northside Junior High, Go Warriors. And from there to Northside High School. All right. Class of 1990. 1990. 51 years old this month. I would not have thought that. You look great. Thank you. Like, and I know they can't see you on video. Y'all just got to take our word for it's it. It's my mama's jeans. That's what it is. So, um, yeah, and, and it, it does do us a disservice that we are not video because then they couldn't, they, they can't see all your tattoos either. <laughs> and and I, I also have a lot of tattoos, so I, I appreciate that. And maybe we can get into some of those a little bit later sure. too. So you graduated from Northside in 1990. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a JCM grad, so I guess we're rivals. But That's okay. It's all right. Yeah, my, my was I was class in '97. Okay, there. Yeah, well. <laughs> don't feel like it. But. I heard that. So, after you graduated Northside, you, you told us before we started recording that you'd all you've been in the food and beverage business since you were 14. Yeah, I started as a busboy at the New England Seafood Chowder House, right down here on uh, North Highland. The um, New England Seafood Chowder House. Yes, where Swades used to be. Okay. Before Swades, it was the New England Seafood House. Uh, I started there as a busboy when I was 14 years old. Did I, you did you have a connection to that restaurant or my what? My brother got a job there. Okay. Uh, my brother's 17 months older than I am. Uh, my brother got a job there, and they needed busboys, so he was a server. I was bus. I came in as a busboy. How long were you there? Uh, a couple of years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And. Um, and then, uh, gosh, man, <laughs> the 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 life of a server is a nomadic one, you know. You uh, there's there are constantly new restaurants opening up in town, so you're you're moving to where the money is. So that's what I was gonna say. That's the draw. 
Thank right. You. I mean, so yeah. when you're a server, you're just easy looking money. at the at the where the crowds are. Yep. That's where you're going. It's easy money. It's cash money. It's every day. So where, where are some places that you worked? Oh, what, what were the what were the happening spots in the late did, '80s uh, in Jackson? See, I did uh, after New, New England Seafood and Chowder House. I did dumplings down here when they were relatively new. Uh, they had not been open very long. I worked for I worked there for a while. Then I went to Frankie's Villa Roma. There's where where was that? There, uh, it's out on Oil Well. <clears throat> Frankie's Emilio, back in the '90s, had this Italian place in Brownsville. And it was in an old house, and people just dug it. I mean, it was great Italian food. Uh, and Frankie and his wife brought that concept to Jackson. So it's kind of right across from uh, the oil well Kroger, where the car wash Yeah, is where now. the varsity market was. Yeah, There's a varsity just, market yeah, there. Right there. And, okay. I <clears throat> uh, did that for a while. And then when Swade's opened up, or started to open up, I actually opened that restaurant. As Bart Swift. With Bart Swift mm-hmm. and Mr. P. Okay. The finest human being I ever had the pl- the pleasure of meeting. I had Carl a friend just amazing. that worked at Swade's. Yeah. Guy named Michael Dennison. He was a waiter there. I don't know if you remember him. He was a server. It's been a long time. I know. This late nineties. Like Twenty years old. Oh, okay. So we're talking nineteen ninety two. Yeah. No, we were we were in middle school then, yeah. so he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't serving. So he did Swade's and and were you there for a, so let me ask you this let's dive down the server hole when you're a server are you do you have to take on the persona of whatever restaurant you're you at like do. you're not going to act the same the concept, that's what yeah. i was going to say so is that any problem for you or did you just yeah, blend right I'm in i'm pretty uh, you're a chameleon I'm a, I'm a chameleon in that regard i guess right but you know from there it was like uh, el chico and then i got into my brother and i ran a place up in mckenzie for a while driving back and forth to work to mckenzie every day um and then I got into, you know, I told you I've always been in food and beverage. Then I, in my early 20s, I got into uh, the beverage side of the business. So I went to work for an old Jacksonian. A lot of people knew him around here. They definitely know his son, Hal. But Morris Crocker had uh, a couple liquor stores around town. Uh, and I went to work for him running one of his liquor stores. And I was there for six, eight months or so. And one of my... Uh, salesman came to me and said, would you be interested in getting the wholesale side of the business? And this is at 96. Hmm. So I was 24 at that time. I said, yeah, I'll take a look at that. Uh, I got hired almost immediately. Uh, the wine and liquor wholesale company out of Memphis. And I did that for 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Athens distributing company. My brother went to work for the same company right after I did. And he's still there. So how far did you, what, what, did you cover a territory? all of West Tennessee outside of Shelby County. So you made a lot of contacts, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, a thousand that. miles a week, man. We did Humboldt, Trenton, Paris, uh, Covington, Ripley, Dyersburg, Newburn, Tiptonville, Savannah, everything. that At that point, at that time, there were like 36 or 7 retail liquor stores in West Tennessee, including the 12 that are here in Jackson. Uh, we hit them all every week. So you did 10 years for them, and then did you get back into the food business? No. <laughs> My dumb ass bought a liquor store in 2006. In Jackson? Yes, the one over on Hollywood Drive, at, between the cemetery and Save-A-Lot. I, I do, okay. Yes. I never I never went in. Yes. I apologize for not going in. It's quite all right. But I remember it. But I bought it in 2006, and then in 2008, when the economy went, did what it did, I lost everything. Mm. Everything. I was too leveraged uh, and just 
quit belly up. And then after that, I got back into food. How did you, how did, what was your reentry point in, in the food business? Like what? Flat iron grill. Well, fancy. You went, you went, yeah. you went high went class. White tablecloth. Man. All the way to the top of the place. Do it, serving or? Serving or? at that point. Yeah. I've never been to Flatiron Grill. Have you not? No. We had dinner there this past weekend. It's fantastic. I need to try it. I need to check it's it out. Fantastic. I love Flatiron. Uh, so you were there for how long? Oh gosh. Well, this is where my story gets uh, kind of comes off the rails a little bit. I ended up getting promoted into management there, mm-hmm. uh, running the front of the house for Frank. Uh, and during the latter stages of my uh, time with the liquor store, and watching kind of everything I'd worked for for a couple of decades crumble around me, uh, losing my house, my car, everything, and ultimately ended up losing the liquor store. But uh, I became a raging alcoholic. Uh, And uh, that the disease really took hold in me the last little bit of time that I was at, that I had the liquor store, and then through my time at Flatiron. When you look back at that now, can you see sort of the big, like the genesis of that? Or was it when you realized it, it was already so encompassing that there was just, there was no, it it was the dumpster fire was fully in, in, in engulfed. I mean, it was, it was over by the time I realized what, what was going on. It was fully involved. What, do you think running a liquor store contributed to that because the, the access or do you think it just it was going to you know, the access it's, it's funny because I spent I spent a decade working for a wholesale wine and spirits company okay I had unfettered access to every drop of alcohol I could ever desire rarely ever touch the stuff I'd buy a 12 pack of beer drink two and ten would sit in my refrigerator for six months uh, and it was never a temptation for me at that point I mean, it takes something uh, catastrophic happening, I think, in your soul uh, to become an addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've looked into that yeah. in step work uh, as I've recovered over the last five and a half years. Uh, I've gotten into some of that stuff. Uh, it's pretty dark and pretty scary. Uh, but uh, I, I can't go back and put my finger on one place in time right and say this is it it was just a kind of a confluence of events mm-hmm. and how long were you in that active in that addiction. space active addiction from 2009 until 2017 so eight years yeah. so would you can cons- hell i've heard the term functioning alcoholic is that is that is that a misnomer is that a for me now look i can only speak for myself right uh for me it was not a misnomer i mean because i i thought i had everybody fooled and you know that's the the disease telling me you got this you got this you're fine nobody knows but uh yeah so my career at flatiron ended with when i had two dui arrests within four months mm-hmm. in 2012. Well, if, if you don't mind, and you don't have to answer this, what did a what did a day look like for you when you were drinking he- um, heavily or dependent while, on alcohol? For a while, it was, uh, I was able to maintain through the day without drinking, 
But then when I get when I go home, I just get shit faced, mm-hmm. you know. And I wake up the next day, shower, shave, go to work, and was able to put on a pretty brave face. Uh, as the disease progressed with me, uh, well, at the end, I was consuming alcohol twenty four hours a day, basically. There was a, there was. I was probably legally drunk 24 hours a day. It was wake up in the morning, put one in to get your day started. Drinking beer at this point or are you drinking whiskey? whiskey? Okay. Uh, Either bourbon or rum. Uh, I liked rum and Diet Coke. It was my drink of choice. But, you know, people laugh at me now because everywhere I go, you go out there and look at the truck. Now I got one of those big plastic white Coca-Cola tumblers from my restaurant. There's a Diet Coke with me at all times. And towards at the end of my uh, career, if you will, as an alcoholic, I still I had that traveler. I had that cup with me all the time. The contents are just dramatically different now. Uh, but I was constantly drinking throughout the day. And then when you would when I would get off work, uh, it was no holds barred. I could do I could drink as much as I want and, uh, until I fell asleep. And then the, as I sobered up through the night, I would wake up mm-hmm. and have to put one in to go back to sleep. And then it's, the cycle just starts to repeat itself. Uh, Were you waking up? Was it that jolt of, a, of awake yeah, and uh, yeah. accelerated heart rate? Yes. And Right. Like my, my that adrenaline me, just my being body pumped me, back hey, in. Hey, it's, it's time to take our medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2012, you said you had two DUIs two in DUI, two months. Two DUI arrests within four months. I got one in four January months. and the second one in May. And was that your was that your That's stopping the point? First time I tried to get sober. So I left. Uh, obviously, I got well. The second time I went to jail was on Friday night, Mother's Day weekend. Hmm. You know what the busiest day of the year in the restaurant business is? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. So I was in jail when I should have been helping my boss run his restaurant on the busiest day of the year. So I lost that job. Went to treatment. At that point, I was at, I went to Aspel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have nothing but great things to say about Aspel Recovery Center. Richard Barber, uh, Rick, all, Frankie Elliott, all those folks over there, great people, and they do great work. Uh, and I stayed sober at that point for about 15 months. Was that a hard, I mean, and, and I don't, if I'm asking questions that are dumb or, or basic. I, and I just told a big fat lie. I'm sorry. First time I went to treatment, I went to Jacoba in 2012. Uh, and then, so I did the 28 day residential program there. Got out, felt great. I was in treatment over Thanksgiving. And uh, I got out before Christmas. I was in a relationship at that time. I moved down to a couple weeks out of treatment. I moved down to Tupelo to be with this person. I got a job working in a restaurant down there. Life was pretty good until the spring of the following year, and I started drinking again. Was there anything that, that, that kickstarted that, or was you it just it? A- well, again, the disease plays tricks on you. You know, it tells you you can have one. And we have a saying in recovery that one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Mm. So. One is definitely too many for me. Uh, so I burned that relationship to the ground, ended up coming back home, went back to work at Flatiron, and that's when I had the two arrests. So we're talking 2014 okay. when I got in trouble. 
Never seen the inside of a jail cell until I was 42 years old. Uh, and I, I was in twice in four months. And uh, ultimately, I think that saved my life, even though I went on and drank again after that. Um, I, at that point, after those arrests, I immediately went into Jacoa, or excuse me, to Aspel for my second trip through treatment uh, and was able to stay sober for about 15 months uh, until, again, the disease plays its little trick and says, you can have one. So the last relapse started with one glass of wine. And within days, I was back to a liter or half gallon a day. What is that? Is there a, is there just an inordinate amount of guilt that comes along with that oh, too? Man, as someone who imagine the self loathing that comes mm-hmm. with, I mean, dealing with you know kind of the personal failure, and you heap that on top of everything that you've lost uh, due to your addiction, uh, it's it's terrible. And I was the point. I was I was the type of drunk at that point where I was just completely solitary. I'd go to work, still drink throughout the day. Uh, come home to my shitty little apartment that had no furniture in it. Uh, to and me and my cat would just lay in the bed, watch TV, and I would drink. And and how long did that last? That went stretch? on until uh, the summer of 2017. So from about 2015 into 2017, uh, I started having some pretty significant health issues in 2017 because I was the amount of alcohol I was putting into my body was just destroying my stomach. So, uh, you know, I don't have to go into the gory details right. of that, but I could not keep anything in. It was either mm-hmm. coming right back up or going down the other end. And uh, uh, ended up in the ER a couple of times, the doctor telling me, if you don't stop, you won't see the end of the year. And is that was it the health then that, yeah. that, that got you bleeding. got your attention? My stomach and everything was bleeding so bad, uh, and I couldn't keep any food in. Right. Uh, he said you won't see the end of the year, and then I had to have that conversation with myself. Uh, I think every addict gets to uh, the point where they have to make the decision whether or not they want to live or die. Uh, and it was a close decision for me. Uh, was there something that you were like, yeah, this is why I want to no, clean it up. It wasn't one specific thing. <clears throat> it, I, I don't know if you want to call it an epiphany or whatever. Uh, it just, the thought occurred to me that, there's something better for me in this life than what I'm doing right here, right now. That you are better than this. Um, and, you know, we, I, I had a conversation with myself over the course of a couple of days. If you want to die, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but ultimately, I, I, th- I feel like I made the right decision to uh, get some help. And I think so my mo- my mother who had been who had ridden this roller coaster with me and had nearly bless her heart uh, had nearly loved me to death uh, trying to help me I reached out to her and I reached out to a mentor I guess in the in the program of Alcox Anonymous who worked for Jacoa was the men's housing director at the time 
I was like, I, I got to have help. And uh, J.C. Moore is the guy's name. Between J.C. and my mom, they, they didn't save my life. They showed me how to save my life. Hmm. Uh, J.C. got me into the halfway house at Chicoa at Montgomery Hall. Uh, and that, and it was kind of off to the races there because immediately at that point, when I was able to stop drinking, things got better. They got incrementally better and then snowballed. So what was your first step? So once you did the halfway house, as far as work, did you go back to serving? Did you, I or went did to work for, uh, Mike and Pat Smith down here at heavenly ham making I, sandwiches. So I worked for heavenly ham for for a week well let's say a few days when i was in college my buddy was like you got to come work we, we do these all over night shifts over the holidays oh right my God. and you know we're unloading these these trailers of turkeys and hams and we're 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 splitting them sawing them i did that glazing them well all right here's what here's where i realized i was not cut out for the food service industry i get in there and i'm we're supposed to split the turkeys, I think, like a six and a six. I think the hams were, were 16 pounds. You try to get eight and eight, something like that. You wanted to have you wanted to have them evenly split, right? I get in there, and I, I split a ham like a 12 and a four. Like, it was, so, it was so bad. And what was worse is when I finally got this ham split, the 12-ounce the side went spinning down the counter and straight into a trash can. <laughs> and my buddy looks at me. He's over there, and he just, like, looks at me. He looks at the trash can. He looks to see anybody's watching. He just comes over. He takes it out and sets it right back on the. And, and we just moved on. But I realized quickly that this that life was not for me. So hats off to you. I for, did. Uh, let's see. I worked for them for about six months or so through the holiday season, and it was it was something else. It's intense, man. But I have nothing but praise for those folks too because they gave me a job when I was, and I was I was newly sober. I was. When I when I get, finally made the decision to get sober, I was unemployed. I'd just been fired from the last two jobs I'd had uh, because I could not stop drinking. Uh, they gave me a job. I was unemployable. I was virtually homeless. I still had my apartment at this point, but there were no utilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no driver's license. I was still on probation from the DUIs because I hadn't paid off all my fines. Uh, and actually, Mike Smith ended up paying off my fines and paid my uh, reinstatement fee so I could get my driver's license back. That's incredible. Yeah. So I have nothing but glowing things to say about wow. those folks because they really gave me a break when there was really nobody, there was really no other option. So is Heavenly Ham, was that the last stop before you decided to open your restaurant or? No. Okay. Before I uh, had gotten, uh, before I got sober, kind of the, I told you I got fired from the last two jobs mm-hmm. I had. Well, the second to the last job was with West Alley Barbecue. I remember West Alley. In the location Same. where my place is now. Right. So I worked for them for a while, for a couple of years. Couldn't stay sober. They had to let me go. So I tried to, I made a half-hearted attempt to get sober. Um, and the blacksmith was coming to downtown. And uh, the lady that owned it, I guess at that time, I don't know if she's still there or not, if she's still involved in the ownership or not. But a uh, high school buddy of mine was going to be her GM, and he recommended me to come in there and help run that place. So, But I, I lasted about three or four weeks maybe during the construction phase before they ever even opened, and they had to let me go. Drinking. Yeah, yeah. drinking. And that was in July of 2017 when I finally put it down. Yeah. 
So after getting sober, working for a few months at Heavenly Ham, the West Alley guys called me back. Uh, How you doing? We hear you're sober. Yeah, sober. Uh, You want to come back and help us out? So I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. So that's how I ended up back in the barbecue business. And they weren't around much long after. How how long were they around after they called you back in that location? Uh, I went back in February and they were done in that location in uh, the end of November. That's what I thought. So this bring this sort of brings us to the opening of of your space, the genesis, yeah. the genesis of how this started. Because I remember I would go to West Alley a lot. I just go up there and sit the bar area and have a you know sandwich or whatever. And and I was so disappointed when I found out they were leaving downtown because you know and I know downtown is like really popping right now. Like it feels like things are finally, finally. Because I felt like this is it's been a start and a stop. Absolutely. Through my entire First, life. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know. And so when West Alley left, I was like, man, that just felt so deflating. Because it's a, I just like going down there. It was a cool setup. And But then somebody messaged me on Facebook because I think I complained or bitched about it on there. And they were like, well, we hear something. We hear something's going to go there that's going to be barbecued too. It's going to be locally owned. So don't like, this is a yeah. good thing. And that's you. That's me. All right. So how did that all come together? Uh, it became apparent over the summer and early, uh, late summer of 20, I guess we're in the 2018 now. Yeah, 2018. That West Alley was not going to keep their lease on that space for whatever reason. Um, and the landlord uh, who knew me just by my reputation working with the West Alley folks uh, offered me the opportunity to take the space. Um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't have any money. I mean, I literally had no money, like zero dollars. Uh, and he, the, the landlord said, I can help you with that. Uh, he said, I just, I know you have integrity. I like what you're, you know, what you're trying to do with your life. And I think you'll be, you, I think this is a good opportunity for you. It's a good opportunity for us as a, as a landlord to have a tenant that we can trust. Um, and it's a good opportunity for you to show what you can do. Um, and that's how it started. Now, if we back up a couple of decades, and I can kind of tell you how I got into barbecue to begin with. Uh, when I was in high school, the Hicks family moved to Jackson. Daryl and Ann Hicks and their son, Darren. Darren's still one of my best friends to this day. He sat right in front of me in biology class, in Miss Henley's biology class at Northside, and that's how I met him. And almost immediately struck up a friendship. Uh, they had moved here from uh, Dexter, Missouri, widely known at that point as just amazing barbecue. This is in 1987, and at that point in 1987, they were the reigning Memphis and May world champions. Whoa. Uh, so, and so for people who don't know, that's a big deal, because Memphis and May, big, every super, year they the have the big, right, that the cook-off the or the... Uh, so almost immediately I start going with them on caterings and barbecue contests and this, that, and other thing. And that's where I kind of cut my teeth on real barbecue. Um, and the effort that goes into doing it right. So if you can, to the uninitiated, me being one of those people, what goes into making good barbecue? Like Time. that process, just, so just being Time patient. and patience and consistency. The Hicks 
uh, now my barbecue is radically different than what they do. Uh, they have their own very distinct style, uh, very distinct flavor profiles that I still adore to this day. Uh, but I couldn't knock them off. Uh, I love their barbecue. But I felt like there could be a niche for what I call pure barbecue. Uh, it's unadorned. It's not smothered in rubbed rubs. It's not drowning in sauce. It is pork and smoke. Um, and that's what I do. Now that's, I call it authentic West Tennessee style barbecue. Not Memphis style, not Carolina style, not Kansas City style, not Texas style. It's West Tennessee style. Uh, and it's just simple. It's just simple. You take, you take quality ingredients, you invest the time, uh, and you just do it right. I think you, and you're not, I'm not saying that because you're just sitting here. I think y'all, you have the best barbecue in town. And, and my, my girlfriend lives in Philadelphia. Um, but every time she comes down here twice a month and she doesn't get barbecue up there. That's, that's any good. So she's like, I, like every now and then it's like, I want it. I want a barbecue. And that's, we always go to your place. It's very kind. Yeah. But because it's the best, that, 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 you know, I never get tired of hearing that. Uh, um, it's just, it's incredibly humbling, you know? Um, so, with with all, with this barbecue knowledge under your belt since you'd been doing it for so long or at least had uh, over 30 years yeah for over so i guess it was a no-brainer then whenever you were going to open up your restaurant in that same it was already set up for it and your yeah. experience was yeah. in that as well so you were just pretty much putting your and here's what i like about this because i think you have your own style of barbecue but then you also have your own style of atmosphere the vibe the vibe of your place my friend Ambry, you know her well you know she she talks about the vibe all the time and i feel like since you've been there because i've been coming there semi-regularly since you took over since since it became baker brothers and i feel like the vibe has has just continually evolved and progressed and expanded i i, I think you're right <clears throat> and that was the goal all along because again, I opened the restaurant with no money, literally zero dollars, just other than what I could borrow. Uh, so we started. You, you remember seeing that basically that raw space, but that when was we first opened. But there was something it was so sterile and yeah. Just but there was something so minimal about that that was yeah. cool to me. Like when I would walk in, I was like, okay, like this is great because it's look, I'm coming here at, at that point. I was coming there for barbecue, yeah. so I did. I wasn't really coming for. And then there was there was something about how understated it was that was like, we don't need any kind of atmosphere to draw anybody in here. We're going to draw them in here because this this shit is good. The plan was always to sprinkle in the live music, mm -hmm. uh, and to, to do events and stuff like that. Uh, we've just been um, so fortunate, so blessed that we've been embraced by. The music community. I mean, Hunter Cross is down there on my stage right now, uh, throwing down on open mic night. You know, we have a very uh, eclectic and very loyal group of artists. We have sh we have live music every Friday night and every Wednesday night for open mic nights. We sprinkle in some other stuff when I find something interesting uh, that I want to add to it. 
But we've added to the we've added the music. We've added the decor. Uh, now we've added the pinball machines, which we'll, I, I'm sure we'll get mm-hmm. into in a moment. Um, it's it, I appreciate you recognizing that the evolution that has taken place. But it's all I can't tell you that off the rip. I had I envisioned having a bunch of pinball machines in my restaurant, but I had. Uh, I had some goals in mind of how to ramp this stuff up mm. and how to add things, sprinkle things in. Frank R. Curry at Flat Iron Grill taught me a lot about that stuff when I was working for him. Frank's probably taught me more about the restaurant business than anybody I've worked for in the nearly 40 years now that I've done it. Uh, and the key thing that he taught me was uh, not just managing cost and managing labor, and, but it was setting the atmosphere and how important that is to set the scene uh, for that, set the stage for the show to take place on. And I feel like we've done a good job with that at Baker Brothers and that uh, the staff has done a good job of embracing that concept. So we're super consistent with that as well. You know, we're super consistent with the food. I think not, we're not exactly where I want us to be. You're never going to be satisfied with, from a consistency point of view uh, in that regard. But we just want to keep everything nice and steady mm. and grow. Well, you know, and I don't, I want to get into another aspect of the restaurant too. I think it has to do with location. I think it has to do with the fact that, that you, a local person who has been here their whole life, own it. I want, I want to talk about sort of the, your progressive sensibilities because I think this plays into to what we're going to discuss Absolutely. as well. So I don't know if you remember when Scott Conger was running four years ago. All right, so there's him, Jimmy Eldridge, Dr. Jerry Woods, um, I think Mark um, Johnstone. Johnstone. And we had a get out the vote. I don't know if rally's the right word, event at your place. One of the, to this day, one of my favorite days ever in the restaurant business. It, I rem, so Anthony, it was Anthony Kirk's idea. Yeah. And then when he and I, he reached out and I was like, man, I don't know. I was like, but we both said, if we can do this, if we can organize it, I know exactly where we want to have it. And and it was your place. Because, like I said, the location, the feel of it, you were open to those things, uh, an event like that, because it brought the community together. It raised awareness. Event at that point. Well, you were. <laughs> I was starving to death, damn it. But we had, but so Brandon Clifton played. Yeah. Lolo no played. Cotton. Lolo. Right. And and it was a big deal. There was a huge turnout. It was a it was a yeah. great night. It probably took me two years to get that size crowd well, back in there. <laughs> but it was so, I feel like when things are clicking like that, that is what makes something a, a place like Jackson very special. When you can get people out and involved in the political local the local political process at a locally owned place, you have local artists, local food, like it doesn't get any better than that. And so I feel like for that for me was a seminal moment in downtown in Jackson. I think Scott winning was a big deal. Um, you know, huge and, and no offense to Jimmy and beating Jimmy Eldridge was a big deal. An entrenched politician who I signal it was like things, things are shifting, things are changing. And I, you know, it wasn't just that he beat him. It was the margin. It was the margin. And the fact that we had him and Jerry in a runoff was so encouraging to me as well. Like Jerry Woods, not, you know, but yeah. And so there, there was so much symbolism in that. And then I do think from there, like things have, have taken off. Um, and I'm not going to like, 
there are some things that I that, that Scott and I have bumped heads on. Right. So it's not like I'm like all all you're aboard the Conger his, train yet, you know. But I do think that there there's something about that night and that moment and that year w- was very m- moving for me in that you know at that time. Um, so as we've progressed now, I know this is sort of taking a right turn. You've held open mic nights. We had that get out the vote rally at your place um, in 2019. You've got six pinball machines now. You call it a lounge. Is the pinball lounge? Yeah, the pinball lounge. The pinball lounge. Now, is it just like the, a quarter a play? A to- how, how does that? It varies. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, one machine that's just a quarter a play, a couple of machines that are 50 cents a play, and three machines that are a dollar a play. We also have three kind of classic machines. Uh, I think the oldest one we have is the uh, made in like 1976. Um, and then we have three modern machines. Uh, they're just really cool. Do, do you get tickets? Like, can you, like Chuck E. Cheese, no. they spit out tickets and you can no. go get some barbecue, you just come in and a you hooch, spend, some hooch you sauce. Your money. <laughs> you just spend your money. And we're going to keep the machines fresh. Uh, uh, they're going to rotate. You know, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll have our current lineup for two, three, four months. A couple of the current machines will go away, and a couple of new ones will slide in. We're always going to keep that mix of three classics and three moderns. Good. You know, pinball is such a, you know, I think it really marries well with the music scene yep. or the live music scene. I was a big Bruce Springsteen fan for a long time, and I still am his old stuff. But hey, little girl, so that's oh, good. Showing out. <laughs> there are all these references though to that Atlanta, that boardwalk in Asbury Park, the pinball machines, and you know several references to his songs, and it does just lend itself to that like carnival atmosphere. Yeah. And I, I dig it. Yeah, the color, the sounds. I dig it. It, you know, and, and when you think about that. Because I thought it was cool as hell when when your restaurant was so sparse. But then, you know, adding all of this, it's like when you can look at it from that that contrast of where you are now from where you started, like that's got to be, it's got to mean a lot. It does. Symbolically and literally. I pinch myself every damn day, man. There's there's not a reason in this world why I should have the stuff that I have now. There's not a reason in this world. I was just a drunk, you know? There's not a reason on earth why things should have gone this well for me. Uh, I have no explanation for it. I I just pinch myself and grateful every single day. Yeah. It's remarkable. It's, it blows my mind. Um, on March 18th this year and and next week. Yeah. It's next week. A week from Saturday. A week from Saturday as we're recording. Now, by the time this episode is out and drops, March 18th will probably be gone a couple weeks. But you are you are hosting a drag show. Jackson Pride's hosting the drag Jackson show. Jackson Pride is hosting the drag show. Yeah. I'm just, I'm the venue. You are the I, venue. And I'm a sponsor. Obviously. And you're a sponsor for it. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of Jackson Pride. As am I. Um, yes. And, uh, and it, you know, it goes without saying all of the, the mess that was stirred up in the fall, um, what the Tennessee legislature has done just this month uh, in, in making a drag show of a felony, possibly if it is second offense, felony, first offense, misdemeanor. 
punishable uh, by up to six years in prison. And, and so we could, and, and I've, I've written articles about it. I've talked about it live on here. I was on with representative Todd on a show on this station, uh, in the fall. And there wasn't a lot of reasoning going on yeah. there at all. Uh, he's not a reasonable person, at least as, when it comes to this topic. But you host your your restaurant hosting this, being the venue for this and for Jackson Pride. How much does that mean to you that you're able to to host? It means everything because as an LGBT American, an LGBT Tennessean, an LGBT Jacksonian, uh, I feel a responsibility to carry some water. You know, I've been given so much, uh, and it just it it means the world to me to be able to give something back to a community who has rallied around me. Yeah, I feel a huge responsibility as a kind of a semi-public face uh, to be as outspoken and as supportive of Jackson Tennessee Pride as I can be. And I think that's important to remember too, because there's so many. And, and I I am somebody looking at this from the outside because a lot of the things that I complain about uh, or rail against would never impact me personally. Uh, and so I think that is, I have the, and I'll use the word privilege, I have the privilege of that not happening. And so sometimes I don't feel what that's like. Yeah. And as someone, you, you can feel in some ways what, what some of this is like. In every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now we have, you know, we have uh, marriage equality is, is settled law, according to the United States Supreme Court. And we have the Tennessee General Assembly wading into that again today. Right. Uh, it's 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 embarrassing. It's uh, disheartening. It's disappointing. It's a little bit soul crushing. Uh For my government to now adopt such a uh, almost militant stance over pounding me over the head, it's just, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, and it's, and uh, you know, as, as joyous as uh, the Supreme Court's, the Obergefell ruling in 2015 was, this is, is, just as disheartening. Uh, it's crushing. I mean, I don't know Representative Todd. Never spoken to the man before in my life. Uh, but, you know, we have another, uh, uh, we have a, a, a senator here that's voted for all of this stuff in his committees and when it comes up for a vote. Uh, and, you know, that man has literally known me since the day I was born. Uh, and looked me in the eye on two occasions as he was running for Senate. And as I've been on uh, in Legislative Plaza lobbying on behalf of LGBT folks, has looked me in the eye twice and promised me he would never do anything to hurt me. But now look what the son of a bitch has done. It, it, is, the, it is the worst parts. Some people call it a theocracy. Some people call it a hyper 
partisan Taliban. It is, it, and and it is it is the worst part of the political machine that seems to be steamrolling. Here's the thing that baffles me the most about why they're even getting into this crap. They have absolutely nothing to lose. There was no reason whatsoever for these people to pick this fight. They, they have a super majority in, this, in the General Assembly. They're not going anywhere. It's going to take a generation or two to turn that. There was no reason for them to pick this fight. They had, I mean, you're already winning 100 to nothing. I mean, what are we doing here? It's the, the only reason they're fighting this fight is to belittle, demean, demoralize, and piss on us. And it's infuriating. They're in a they're in a bully they're in a bully pulpit, oh, God, yeah. but to the extreme because they are literally making laws that can affect people's lives, literally. And you know, I don't. Somebody somebody said on the, a show here last week. You know, well, in his defense, he's probably never been to a drag show. And my response was, if you're if you are going to make laws the first thing he should have done is get his ass to one right you you better be damn sure you know what you're making your law against and if you don't you have no business doing that job um but show me show me one case of a child being harmed by a drag queen show me one we went here we went here all year county in this state in this country you know, but suddenly it's just in their minds we're, we're deviants, and we're in their minds we are less than, and it's you know that's not going to change. I think it is so important, especially locally, because I, I in the last several years I've been so enthralled. Well, I've been so enthralled with national politics for a long time since I was like twenty two or twenty three, and we were talking about yeah. you know that or before we started recording. But really, lately in the last four or five years, have I gotten in? to local politics and the things that sort of make a, a local community run. And there is that type of thinking here. Obviously, I mean, we, we saw it played out in October from some people, but there is also, I think there are also enough people here to push back against that locally. Now we can't do a lot about Nashville no. and what happens in the state legislature, but we can control some stuff that happens right here. Yeah. And that's been kind of the saving grace through this whole thing. Look, I came out, uh, it's funny. I kind of came out publicly uh, during a live remote on News Talk 101.5 at Cambridge Limited in 2010. Uh, I was on the Key Shirley show. Uh, we were launching at that point a Madison County committee for the Tennessee Equality Project. Uh, and I had been picked to lead that committee. Uh, and we we're doing a, kind of a little media blitz. So I came out to a lot of folks on Keith's show that day and on the front page of the Jackson Sun the next morning with some photos from the from the party, a big headline above the fold across the front page, gay group builds presence. So that's how I came out to most of this, mm. most of the community. And there's not a day that's gone by since that day in I think June of 2010 where I haven't felt... Uh, the love from somebody in this community. The, uh, there's always going to be, you know, sprinkles of hate, but 
I have always felt surrounded by allies. Uh, I've never felt uh, put upon or pissed on or anything else until recently. But even then, we have allies like you uh, that hold us up and, and, and show us that we're loved and show us that we're not alone in the fight. And that's cool. Uh, so we're talking, you know, a decade and a half, basically, or over a decade, where I've felt like the community has rallied. Mm-hmm. This community has rallied. And I think... And, we're, and, and this is going to be... Uh, this crap that the General Assembly is peddling right now, I think, ultimately, it may be a minute, but I think, ultimately, is going to bite them in the butt. I agree. Because people like you, uh, you know, other straight allies we have out there, are are going to respond. Yeah. It, it, and I, it is something that I, I am humbled to do. I got a, I got a, a note from Darren likes, yeah. uh, after Happy I wrote, birthday, Darren, by the way, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. As we're recording, it's yeah. Darren's birthday. Uh, when I wrote a piece in the Jackson sun that got a lot of traction in response to, yeah, I think it was something Todd Brady written, but it was mainly in response in response to Chris Todd and you know his his actions in in the fall, and that that card is still in my refrigerator yeah. at home, and it's been up there for three months, and yeah. it's not going to come down. Yeah. Um, but I think what what happens in a town like Jackson because it you know did you know Drew Jackson's the fastest growing town in America? Have you heard have you those, have you heard yeah. that? <laughs> like that? But all jokes aside, it is growing, it is progressing, but it's still has I think for good and bad a small town feel mm-hmm. and in this situation I think it's good because you grew up here and people know you they're going to love you they're they're not yeah. going to get caught up in in whatever this narrative that's being yeah. peddled on some other level we just have a responsibility to let y'all know how this makes stuff makes us feel absolutely how it affects us on the ground every day is that is that the common refrain from your friends who are Supported. LGBT? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah. I mean even like with this legislation, is it is it demoralizing well, the, the it, they run the gamut. Okay. I mean, you know, uh Stonewall was a riot. And you know, I got friends that are talking about throwing bricks again. That's not the answer. Right. I understand the sentiment. You know, some of these days I want to throw a damn brick. But that's not that's not the answer. Uh, we have to be smart, hmm. uh, and we don't have to stoop to the level that the opposition does. I don't want to. I'm not going to belittle anybody. I'm not going to, you know, overly criticize anybody. I've always said that I love everybody. I'm going to continue to love everybody and just let the Almighty sort them out. It's not my place to sit in judgment over anybody. Right. Uh, I just wish they wouldn't sit in judgment over me. And write laws about how I can live my life. Yeah, and that and, and, and that it feels like that shouldn't be too much to ask for anybody, no, right? Not, you <laughs> know, we, we've, I've heard that you know my entire life. You know, that's a, the gays just want special rights. No, we don't. No, just we don't. want equal rights. We just want the same. Just the same. I just want the same stuff you got. That's yeah. it. Nothing more. Nothing less. Right. And we're not going to settle until we have the same. That's good. Don't keep fighting, man. Thank you so much for for everything you're doing here for the restaurant for the barbecue um for the support for all of it because i do i do think 
the restaurant itself, obviously it's in the heart of downtown. It's in a building that, that is familiar. Um, but something about having a, a person who grew up here running it, it all makes it work together. And we appreciate everything that you bring to the culture here because it is, it's a lot. And I don't know if you realize that or not. I, I try, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I just, you know, live in gratitude today is all I can say. I've just been blessed beyond measure. Uh, I've been given so much and I don't want to squander any opportunities here. I want to be a, a voice. I want to be a safe place. Um, I want to be a home, you know, uh, and, uh, it, Sometimes I'm a little sad that it took 50 years to find this spot in life, but thank God it's here. Yeah, but it's nice to be there, isn't it? it, it you know, we're, I'm not done by a long <laughs> shot, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm so gratified and ju- just by the way things are going because business is great, you know. Uh, I just, I have nothing but love in my heart for this community and what it's given. 